Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm a menace. And look, unlike the English cricket team, I have not snubbed my opponent. Um, I'm actually having a post-series catch-up. So I'm thrilled to be joined by Jack Hope from the, the UK-based cricket podcast. Jack, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Menas. Yeah, it's great to be, to be back. Uh, I'm looking forward to reviewing a pretty fantastic series overall. Yes, I didn't lock the door on you or make up fake excuses like Ben <laughs> Stokes about why we're not catching up. And then returning to the show, um, my old friend Gav Joshi, cricket commentator extraordinaire. Gav, how are you? I'm good, Menas. I'm finally on better sleep cycle after those five weeks. Oh, it was brutal for us, Jack. I'll tell you what. Um, the one thing about committing to doing daily wraps of the Ashes is you really have to watch it, and that meant, you know, Days and days and days of three or four hours sleep. Yeah, what time? Um, what time were you recording your shows? Four in the morning, most of the time. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes we would do them four in the morning, or we would get like three or four hours sleep and then get up and do them straight away. Uh, yeah, morning yeah. coffee. Um, but yeah, it was brutal. But anyway, enough of me whinging about sleep. Um, let, let's get into it because I re- so much to talk about. There's been a a lot of discussion since the series ended. I mean, I'll start with you, Jack, as your you know the special guest from the UK. You sort of you have to say two two in the end was a very very fair result. Um, you know, England got really lucky at the end there. Australia just went off the boil after the second test, and England England did some great stuff, made some great changes. But in the end, two two is a pretty fair shake. Um, I I, I don't know if I completely agree on that. I, I think I would say really, I didn't, is I it. Thought, I was so surprised. I think I would say it isn't an unfair result. And I think bigger picture, look across those five tests. I I, I, I think you can say that that Australia weren't undeserving of retaining the Ashes. I think they did play some good cricket. Uh, I think they're basically the only team in the world that would have been able to stand up to England at all. And for four of the tests, they did. And they won two of them. Um, And let's be honest, after tea on the fifth day, we're probably favourites to, to win at the Oval mm. as well and could have, could, have, could have taken the whole thing 3-1. However, looming over all of that is obviously what happened in the fourth test where there was decisive cricket, I think is the best way of putting it, where one team did dominate the other and that team doing the domination was England. And for you, that to be the match know, that doesn't gonna... produce the result... You don't even know England's going to win that match. I mean, Cam Green and Mitch Marsh might have scored hundreds and it was a famous victory. I mean, and yeah. Look, anything could have happened, couldn't it? But, yeah. you know, what was happening was that England were handing out a bit of a thrashing to Australia. And um, for, yeah, for that, to, that result to be nulled, for that result to be nulled, you know, it, it, it is a disappointment for England. And I think... If you look at the sort of stats across the series as well, England's batters outperformed Australia by a, a, an average of about four runs. 
five mm. runs, depending on you know how you slice the data. And I, I think that shows that England probably over the five matches were were the better team. Having said all of that, original point, I don't think Australia were undeserving of retaining the Ashes, and I think they played some really good cricket. And if you have four matches decided by under three wickets or under fifty runs, it's anyone's game. Um, and for it to end two two, it, it, it also it's not too unfair on England. I don't think like it's it's, it's it was a close series. Where Jack, do you Jack, see Gav? Jack, I think it might have been 5 0 if England finally managed to take all their catches. Menace, you might agree to this. I know you don't like <laughs> agreeing, but that's it. I mean, if England held on to all their catches, it, I think they end up being convincing winners. I, I sort of agree with Jack. I think England will be more disappointed. Um, you just look at the first test match. Um, in that second innings at Edgebaston, I think England took it slightly more casual in that second innings. Uh, you look at someone like a Joe Root's dismissal, there was a really good example. Uh, at Lords, I mean, what, one for 180 odd, and then you throw it away like that. And I think there was, a, from the whispers I've heard, a bit of a talk in the dressing room just to almost, I won't say it, go away from baseball, but just, just play a little bit smartly. Um, and in saying that, I think Australia would be disappointed with Leeds. I mean, here, here they were, I think, seven for 140 odd, and Mark Wood comes out swinging. So I actually think England would probably will be more disappointed uh, overall because I think England could have won that series, maybe whether that's 3-1 or whether that's 3-2, whether that's 2-1, I'm not sure. But I, I think England will be more disappointed because they had better opportunities to win. I think England missed more moments than Australia, I would say that. Um, because let's be fair, at, at the Oval, yes, Australia's looking to win. But look, it's easy to say on paper, but more than you know, 350, it hasn't been done much in Test cricket. So I think the odds were always against Australia. Mm-hmm especially after the ball was changed, Menas, and I'll let you come off the long run in this one. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to get onto the ball. I mean, we need to dedicate a whole inquiry into that. I mean, I think the podcast should just delve into what actually happened out there. But I think a lot of, you know, journalists here, Jack, and a lot of, um, you know, pundits have likened it to sort of a heavyweight boxing match. And if you were scoring points, you'd probably have England ahead on points at the end of the, the test series. Um, and and I, I think you can sort of, there's merit to that. Johnny Best, though, um, was really slow getting going with the gloves. And it's what you said, Gav, you know, if Bairstow had had a better start to the series with the gloves, um, some of those matches could have gone the other way. But I do think Australia really dropped the ball after Lords. I think... You know, what happened with Johnny Best, I really rattled Cummins. They went ultra defensive. I think Andrew McDonald, as coach, has to take a lot of the blame. You know, tactics in the field were mystifying at times. Uh, the batters went to sleep. I mean, if you said to me Steve Smith would average under 40 in an away Ashes series, I'd have fallen off my chair. I mean, I think Australia had an absolute shocker after Lords. And, you know, they, you know, you have to say World Test Championship, Edgbaston, Lords, three in a row. That's a great run for a touring Australian side. But then I think they just went on the defensive. And I guess, that Jack, that's exactly what Basball wants you to do. Oh, I, I, I kind of agree with that, um, to be honest. I think had they stuck to the game plan, which seemed to be a little bit more front foot oriented. Look, I mean, they, they were never trying to score at five and over or anything like that, but they had some, some big counter-attacking innings in those first two tests and um, scored at a reasonable rate. And in the field, yeah, they put sweepers out early, but I didn't actually think that was a bad tactic. I thought that, thought that sort of worked mm. reasonably well. Later in the series, you ended up with sort of seven men on the boundary and um, the game, that the third day at the Oval, to be specific, it, it just drifted away from Australia. I thought England scored risk-free runs all day. Scored four hundred risk-free runs basically in a, in a, in a in a in a in a day. Um, I think the, the 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 thing that really shocked me though was the batting, the the way mm. that changed. And um, I think the two instances that I was basically perplexed and thought Australia was was scared of England. Um, late on day one at Old Trafford, when Alex Carey came out to bat, and uh, with the last 20 overs of the new ball, Australia scored 42 runs. Um, really 
just tried to kill the game. And it was pretty obvious at that moment in time that Australia had decided that the best way to get a result from this was to hope that the rain came on day four and that they could, if they could just bat out enough time on day one, that the, the draw would come into the game, which I, I think is just the wrong way in all circumstances, to be honest, of playing mm. an innings on, on the, f- the first ever test match. Agreed. And then at the Oval, and then at the Oval on the, was it the second morning? Um, that Labuschagne and Kawaja yeah. partnership, yeah. bizarre cricket, really, really bizarre cricket. Yeah. And I think I, that was I, I, Labuschagne. I mean, man, it's just well, yeah, got stuck. I think I think it was a tactic. He's got eight runs off eighty-two balls or nine runs off eighty-two mm. balls. I-, I don't see how a player that good. And I'm not saying here he has to go out and score seventy in the morning or something like that. But if he walks off at, with thirty runs, it just changes the tempo. It means that England have to set different fields later in the day. It means the ball's got a little bit more wear mm. into it. Um, it gives Ben Stokes something to think about. Instead, what happened was England were able to just put it on a spot for pretty much the entire day and and let the the conditions do the hard work. And Look, yeah, dreadful. Jack, basically, Jack, Jack talked about the defense. Uh, Australia prepared the Ashes uh, to play in that manner. They were never going to take Basball on, and and fair enough. I mean, you look at the secret of Basball, and you look at people like Crawley and Duckett and you know Harry Brook. Full credit because Brent, Brendan McCullen, as the story goes, has walked into the interview with the ECB. It, it's on the lines of this is you've got attacking players and we want to play an attacking brand of cricket. Now, Australia trying to play basketball would have been ridiculous. Uh, I think they played the right way. But the matter, I think, is for the bowlers. And we saw the frustration with likes of Josh Hazelwood and sometimes even Pat Cummins that how easily a good ball was still scored off because you'll be blocked straight into cover and there'll be a single. And that's Pat Cummins and Josh mm. Hazelwood's big strength to keep them. So, yes, it might have started off well with the winning the first two test matches, and that's where I go back to that moment at Lords. I think England was slightly more diligent about the way they went about their business, that if the field is spread out, go it still, you know, four or five runs and over, and that would still work. And it proved that way as well. Um, I think Australia, I think, yes, there was only plan A. It's to spread the field back. How to get England out was, I just don't feel like there was a bit of a plan B. Now, a lot of that plan B was also affected the fact that Nathan Lyon was in there because trying to hit Nathan Lyon out of the attack is not one of the easy parts. Mm. So I think the minute you lost Nathan Lyon, rather than you, you alluded to Johnny Bairstow, uh, incident. The minute Nathan Lyon was gone, you felt that Australia was always going to swim against the tide in this whole Test series. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Lyon was a big miss. But but just going back to the batting, I do think that England is a bit obsessed with run rates. And, you know, that minus Labuschagne, that's a terrible example. He just got stuck. But, you know, Kawaja's tactic the whole series was clearly he's not going to nibble outside off stump. I'm going to make you bowl at me. And if, if that means I'm going to play out mains, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to wait for you to bowl straight and I'm going to turn you away on the onside. And if you overpitch, I'll drive you, but I'm going to leave everything else alone. But I think the real the real crime is, you know, Smith, Head and Labuschagne got a ton of starts throughout the series. Um, what did they average? They all averaged in the mid-30s. Well, which that is the biggest crime in Test cricket. If you get well, even many... Sorry, man, it's even, even David Warner. I mean, I think he had six starts of more than 20s. I mean... You know, so don't leave him out. Uh, no, no, I think that we just, I, I'm surprised he got to 200 runs. So. <laughs> Keep going, sorry. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so I think, I, but, I, but then on the bowling, I mean, you know, this is where you see, and you're right, Gav. I mean, Jack, you must have been surprised that Cummins and Hazelwood, the way they bowled, Cummins took his wickets at 37, Hazelwood over 30. You know, it wasn't just the tactics. They were actually weren't bowling that well. They didn't seem to be able to bowl on one side of the wicket. And I just think they they just they didn't have clear plans and they weren't patient enough and they just started spraying the ball around. I think there's an element of that, and I think that's probably particularly true for Hazelwood. Um, I thought that Cummins actually overbowled himself earlier in the series and was tired by the end mm. of, the, of the match. Do you, do you remember? I think it was it was it the I, second inning to Edgebaston where him and Lyon bowled sort of yes. fifty of the seventy overs or something, you know, nuts like that. 
Um, and at that point in time, everyone was saying, yeah, you know, Australia's tactic, using more balls up, that will come back to hurt England later on. What ended up happening was that England rotated through their bowlers, brought Wood and Wokes in, and the the, the miles and the legs of Ollie Robinson were irrelevant um, in, the, in, in the third, fourth and fifth test. I think the miles and the legs of Cummins, who is... From from an English point of view, the scary bowler. Um, when Cummins gets the ball, that's he's the one who y- you really don't want to see to be seen. You don't want to see them bowling full stop. You don't want to see him bowling well. Um, yeah, he, he, even more so. And I think he neutralised his own threat to some extent with some of his earlier spells in the series. Now he's the captain, and there are questions about whether you could have rotated him out or whether he could have bowled less. I mean, if he had bowled less to Edgbaston, who's to say that Australia wouldn't have lost that match? That, that, that probably would have meant more from Scott Boland, wouldn't it? And mm. you know, he, he wasn't exactly Mr. Magic in, in this series. So, no, six, no six um, he, he was between a rock and a hard place to some extent. But I, I do think I do think those the workload told on Cummins um, towards the end yeah, of the series I, and, and he wasn't as good. And the mental I, toll of being captain. Go on, Gav. Yeah, I agree. And I think that let's not forget that the World Test Championship test match. I mean, Australia's played to play one extra test. Yes, England did play against Ireland, but I think England fast bowlers only bowled about 70-odd overs in that test match. It might have been 80, while Australia's bowled about 150 or 160 against India. And I think that was a big pivotal moment in terms of fatigue setting in, and rightfully you know, Pat Cummins, uh, you know, played all those matches and you could see it. And, yes, I reckon the Johnny Bairstow incident, uh, they might not agree to it. It clearly had a bit of an effect in terms of fatigue with number of people, uh, you know, even walking down the streets. I think Australians were getting a bit hassled. And, you know, how are we going to – because another part of captaincy, of course, is you know that question was always going to be raised in the press conference. So the – team had to you know support it pat cummins was constantly had to back his decision and the team's decision and all that would have played on his mind and i think i agree with jack just going back to that you know patience of the australian bowlers and normally hazelwood coming so accustomed to bowling in that fourth or fifth stump line i think what england did really well was they shuffled across and hit them through mid wicket we saw crawley do it we saw brook do it we saw root do it and the fact was that made almost the Australian bowlers bowl a lot straighter, even on a normal. It was almost they had a feeling that England was coming to get them. So they were looking for a tactic to bowl at the stumps. And England, I think it was a stat somewhere where England had scored nearly 50% of their runs through the leg side, um, which is quite Mm. strange because generally the Australian bowlers bowl more in that channel. And I think because they went away from that tactic, um, also affected their not just their mindset, but their ability to take wickets, which was so important because we just didn't see the quality of the Australian attack, especially, like Jack said, in the last two or three test matches. Yeah, and I think any Ashes series, but especially this one, would have tested any captain. But I think it's a lot to ask um, Pat Cummins to be the fast bowler and and. You could just see at times the game sped up on him. And, yeah, I I, I just think it's, you know, we we struggled with our bowling plans because you're right, they were hitting through mid-wicket. Um, gap, but there was there, there, there was no one there half the time. They could just you know knock it into the gap and take an easy single. Uh, I think they needed to be a bit smarter. And I think at t- times bowling like a seventh stump line and being very defensive would have actually been okay. Um, so yeah, a big miss from um, Australia. All right, I want to talk. I want to ask Jack something, but first, this episode is brought to you by Nord VPN. Now, there's a lot of great reasons to have a VPN at the moment. One of them is if you're traveling, you're on holiday. I know it's summer in Europe. Um, you can keep up with the cricket by using a VPN to change your virtual location, and then you can use your cricket viewing app. Um, also, you know, if you want to maintain your privacy, and I'm sure Jack and Gav are both surfing on the internet and want to keep some of those websites they're visiting private. So NordVPN is absolutely going to help you. And Cricket Unfiltered can offer you an exclusive deal. If you go to nordvpn.com 
forward slash cricket unfiltered. You get a huge discount by getting four months free if you sign up for two years and it's a 30 day money back guarantee. So that's nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered. So you won't miss any more cricket. And uh, the link is in the show notes. All right, so Jack, I want to ask you, you know, I listened to the cricket podcast after the Johnny Bairstow incident and you described it as a dick move. Um, now, do you want to walk back those comments now or do you still stand by them? No, I'd, I'd basically say that that is the case. Um, it, it was a it was a bit of a dickhead thing to do. Um, is it out by the letter of the law? Yeah, it, it is. Um, but it's... I mean, I made a, I made another joke on Twitter after England refused to go for beers with with the Australians, and I, I likened I likened their response at the the at Lords to how they would react if they spilt someone's pint. I that they wouldn't buy someone, uh, they you know they wouldn't buy a pint for the person whose pint they had spilled because there's no actual law that says they need to do that, and I. I think that is is kind of what I'm getting at when I say dick move. I I I, I think. What do you What did you think on that last day of the over when Stokes knew he dropped the catch, and then uh, throwing the spirit of cricket out the window, he sent the review up to the umpires. So I don't think that really. I mean, I I don't I don't think these are actually analogous because that happened during a passage of cricket that sort of we see, and I think in that situation he was basically convinced to go for the review by Bairstow who wasn't looking when the ball was dropped. And so I think what had happened in the 15 seconds, you've got to remember this as well. They've, they've, they've got 15 seconds to decide this. I think that Stokes wasn't really sure of the rule and thought that the England players were telling him that the, it had been given not out because the umpire thought that, um, Smith hadn't hit the ball and so that's why they went for the review I mean clearly he dropped it and clearly he shouldn't have re- reviewed it I think it it was partly because of a misinterpretation of the, the rules because i.e. he didn't really know uh, and partly out of sheer embarrassment that he didn't want to front up to his teammates and say I've dropped that one boys um, I don't think it's a spirit of cricket thing I think I mean like it's not really a spirit of cricket thing I, I, I think that that obfuscates and obscures the the, the actual angle. I mean, I, I think with the Bearstow stumping, Bearstow clearly thinks that the over has been called. And the umpires are like handing stuff out, the square leg umpires they're not, walking no, off. They're not, though. They're, they're not. They are. They are. And, I mean, it's he's, he's walked off to such an extent that you can Photoshop the whole of the Abbey Road Beatles front cover between him and the stumps at full size and fit it in. I mean, like he's, he's miles away, and the you know the stumps get knocked down. Like, is it out? Was that was overcalled? No. So you can, you know, it is if you want to appeal out. But don't be surprised if everyone thinks you're a bit of a dickhead for for doing that. And I think the other thing that here that that really surprised me from an Australia point of view. Look, if you want to be that team and you want to claim that wicket, sure, go ahead, like own it. Be be that team, they but did. you can't be miss. You can't be Mister Nice Guy at the same time, and I think that really got to a few of the Australians. I mean, speaking yeah. speaking secondhand here, but Cam- Cameron Green and Alex Carey specifically really were not. They were really surprised at the reaction that they got from the English crowds after that yeah. point in the series. And I, I think if you want to pr- front, if you want to be, if you want to be Mister Nice Guy, if you want to be you know, and everyone says this about Alex Carey, and I, I think it probably is true. He is one of the nicest guys in cricket. If, if that is your image and that's how you want to portray yourself, don't stump somebody when they're you know completely oblivious to what's happening in the game, and, and don't do that, and then think you're going to get nice treatment. Like it, it is, it, they're not. Yes, there's some cognitive dissonance going on there. I, I agree with uh, Jack. I, I mean, it, look, the incident, I, I mean, perfectly legal. I have no problems with it. And my issue is if you've done something and then the crowd and the media and the opposition are into you, don't whinge about it, uh, you know, because that's probably going against what most people believe is within the spirit of the game and so forth. I have no problems. And I actually credit Pat Cummins for the fact that, yep, he stuck by it and he went on and saying, yep, we still think we'll do it again. And good on him for that. I like that as a captain. Uh, and because you know you've got the full support, your captain's got your backing to do all those. 
But then to go out and say, I'm, you know, the behavior at Lords and I'm not, uh, you know, by no circumstances feel that abuse should be allowed anywhere at a cricket ground or any sporting ground. But chances are sport is very emotionally driven and people are going to get attached from it, detached from it, from a particular incident. And I just felt that for Australia to say that, uh, look, you know, we sort of, I can't believe the, the stick that we're copying here. I think that was something that they probably had to reconsider because if the same thing happened in Australia, I think it would be the same old story. Like we would be upset and it's just in any sporting field. Um, so that's what surprised me. I have no problems with Pat Cummins doing it and I actually applaud him for the fact that he stuck up for his teammates and teammates are all okay with it. Um, look, to be honest, Metis, uh, watching that incident live, my gut feeling as soon as it happened is I wasn't a fan of it. And I immediately told, in my mind, the thought was, this is going to cost Australia the ashes. I just felt it's going to... Wow. Yep. Almost did. Yep. I, I, well, I mean, it probably cost them winning the ashes, Let's because I just felt... Well, yeah. But, but I, what I you... Just, yeah, go on. No, no, I, I just, I, it did. The incidents didn't sit well with me. I, I knew, as you mm. know, you know, I, I'm a cricket coach, and I go. And next morning, when I went out, and and, and most of the kids said now. And my big incident is Australia's better than that. Look, uh, with respect to some of the you know minor countries out there, but if a minor country does it, then I'm like, okay, well, they probably can't get a wicket, so that's their way of go. getting somebody out, right? But you're Australia. You've you've got great bowlers. You don't need to do that. You're better than that. And I think that's that's why it didn't sit well with me. Yeah. Uh, one thing you can't argue with is the English fans had an absolute shocker. Like, they had a mare the whole series. I mean, you know, if they were – the English fans, you know, chanting Rolf Harris stuff at Edgbaston, claiming a moral victory, then the behaviour of the fans at Lords was just – disgraceful but the abuse after best though is no surprise i mean you know the english fans have been abusing smith and warner for five years i mean it it goes on everywhere you know there's stories of you know fans chasing the bus in 2019 and um yelling stuff and you know a lot of personal abuse i don't think the best i think obviously turned it up but you know the footage of the english crowds right throughout the series was embarrassing i mean it was just an absolute shocker and um, you know, I know some of it happens in Australia. I mean, it, it is part of um, crowds, but the English fans take it to an extra level. Like they turn it up five times, well, offensive I, I think... songs, offensive chants, um, you know, abuse uh, on every street corner. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it's it's pretty bad, unfortunately. I mean, you know, it, it's way worse than, a you know, a run out because a, a wicket keeper doesn't know to stay in his crease, just wanders out. I think that is aside from the English crowds for a second, we can get onto that. I I think Australia were actually sort of shocked by how the English cricket team reacted to the the Bearstow stumping. Now, I don't want to I, I don't want to exonerate Bearstow here. I do think it was stupid for him to to walk off and like he did learn from it and stayed in his but crease. But you see, Kerry the takes but, the ball and throws it straight away. Like but, you, you can't but, deny that. So, I, I know, think there's nothing sneaky about it. There's nothing sneaky think, about it. But here's this what like I thought. The, this is the victim complex in 2023. You know, this is the generation. Think, Blame everybody else. Don't take personal responsibility. I think Australia thought that the English cricket team might see their angle and be like, yeah, fair enough. It was it was a wicket. But what actually happened was Stuart Broad relentlessly took the piss for two hours. Mm. And then after the game, Ben Stokes said we, we wouldn't have done that. And McCullum said we wouldn't have done that. And it left them a little bit isolated. I think they were expecting their fellow pros to rally round and say, you know, that's the laws of the game. We'll play on. But instead, England said, no, we're committed to what we're doing. And we think, you know, they they didn't literally use my phrase, but they basically insinuated that they thought it was a dickhead thing to do. Mm. Um, and I, I, I actually I think, think that's, they, that, I think that's, that's where the Australians... Well, I mean, I think that's where the Australians were, you know, probably felt the pressure, um, was that, that, that England hung them out to dry a little bit. Now, mm. with the crowds, 
Um, English cricket crowds indefensible, are, uh, indefensible. Are, are, they're football crowds. I mean, I hear it from English. They are, but yeah, they're, they're footballified, and you know, I know there's some there's some great English cricket fans. You know, I've said a lot of nasty things over the ashes, and you know, I there's a lot of great English cricket fans. You know, the trumpeter from the Barmy Army is a massive fan of this podcast, Simon Finch. You know, so <laughs> I, I know there's some good ones, but I also think, like in Australia, there's some bad ones. Well, I think that's true, and I think there's. There is an attitude at some of the grounds that it, it and some of the areas of the grounds that is sort of okay to do whatever you want. And um, this is this is an issue across sport in in England that there mm. are areas of pretty much any stadium you go to which where the crowd like to think that they're effectively lawless and they can effectively get away with whatever they want. Um, so it's something culturally that I think England is trying to confront slowly. Um, and hopefully it's something that they'll they'll overcome. Um, but at the same time, you, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to lose outright the boisterousness of the of the crowd and and defining exactly where the line is between having a laugh at Steve Smith for sandpaper, which I think is probably okay, and mm. then bringing Rolf Harris into the 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 conversation which is probably not okay um isn't necessarily easy and it isn't necessarily easy to do that when you're talking about five thousand people singing a chant at the same time and isolating who might have started that and I so think on england has a history but... england has a history of this so it's, it's nothing new and um you know they do get that football tribe you know they they're good at writing songs and you know it can get get pretty vicious out there um you know i i think more so than in australia the grounds are smaller you know they're on top of each other um you know there's a lot more drink you know a lot of drinking going on i mean there is a lot of drinking that's what struck me when i went to the pakistan v england t20 world cup final last year at the mcg you know the pakistani fans with their families having a great time and you go the english fans they're like drinking pints, like blasted, you know, stumbling all over the place. Um, you know, and sure, I'm not knocking people having a good time, but sometimes it can be can be quite ugly. This is this is the other side of the the culture of going to English test cricket, especially, I think, over here, is that for probably 50% of the crowd, it is an extended drinking session, which starts mm. about half past 10 when you get a pint from the the as the bar opens and we'll carry on probably until about 11 o'clock in the evening after a meal out and uh, another session in the pub the curry yeah and i think you know obviously with alcohol comes a lack of inhibition and um you know maybe yeah. some of those people are not making the smartest <laughs> decisions that they could i know um, all right, Gav, now I know you've got to go, so I, I want to get into some cricket stuff and, you know, I want to just talk a bit about some great performances, but I want to let you go. Just before I let you go, Gav, tell me, what's your kind of one favourite memory from this Ashes series? A positive um, way to end your appearance. I, I think, to be honest, um, watching Mark Wood bowl. Uh, look, I love it. 95 miles an hour. It actually makes, I mean, we have thousands of cricketers come through. Not many can bowl at 95 miles an hour that consistently. And it, yes, it was late at night, Menes, but it even made us almost stand up, um, you know, at that hour and watch it with the eyeballs almost popping out because it, it was exciting. There's nothing like it. We know as Australians, we just feel like one of the best spells we've well, watched over test series has been Mitchell Johnson blowing the palms away in 20. We know we can constantly refer to it. And while this wasn't pretty much for five tests, maybe just for one or maybe two, um, it was fascinating to watch. I was very impressed by Harry Brook as well. Uh, that's my English side of things. I, I just think he's in, he's the, he's the next sort of modern, uh, I'm not going to call him, you, you know, a, a great batsman yet, but you know you you see the next generation coming through, and you know who, who's who's got a decent enough defense. He's got a, all sorts of attack, plays the authentic shots. I mean, uh, I'm waiting for Australia to produce a cricketer like that. Cam Green, maybe when is he going to get his opportunities? Um, but on, on is that this note, one memory, is this one memory? Because that was the question. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Watching Harry Brook bat. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> it was. Because we'll come back. He, you know, he might make 10,000 runs in test cricket and we'll remember that first Ashes test series that he had and we'll go, yep, we all thought of that when he played that. 
it, it, hopefully he's he's not that successful in the next Ashes, but there is a lot to like about him. Doesn't matter which team you play for. You know, I'm a cricket lover, Menes, and I really w- love the way Harry Brook went about his business. All right, terrific stuff, Gav. Well, thanks for joining Jack and I. Um, Jack and I are going to bring this home. I know you've got to go out and have fun on this Saturday night, so um, I'll no catch problem. up with you soon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Menes. Thanks, Jack. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. So, Jack, um, I, I want to get into some of the nitty gritty of the stats and some of the great performances. But I think, you know, I'd love to touch on, you know, Stuart Broad. Um, you know, I, I thought that was just such a wonderful way to go out of test cricket. And, you know, he's a bit of a pantomime villain for Australians, but, you know, for him to be performing at, you know, his best still to take those last two wickets, to hit a, a, his last ball for six. I mean, he couldn't have picked a more perfect time to go out. And I, I just wonder why he's got his old mate, Jimmy Anderson, sort of still plugging away, why he didn't sort of sense the opportunity to walk off together and make it a, you know, that would have been a real grand occasion. Um, well, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Like, firstly, yes, Broad going out the way he did, that was peak Stuart Broad. Um, mm. Almost too good to be true, to be honest, to hit the last ball for six and then take the two wickets that, that wrap up uh, an Ashes test match. Um, with the, you know, the sort of the weather improving, you had those long shadows at the Oval. Um, then everyone celebrates on the pitch, his family's there. Uh, and And in a way as well, I mean, he wasn't necessarily the instigator of England fighting back into the game. Mo and Ali had a lot to do with that. But it, it, some of Broad's best performances, I think, have been when the game's been in the balance or maybe England have been the slight underdogs. And then he's, he's come in and produced a spell and changed things. And I think the whole passage of the, the evening session there, building up to the Broad crescendo, um, was a fantastic way to send him mm. off. And, you know, what, what a cricketer uh, over the years. He, he might not have been the best seam bowler of his generation, but in terms of entertainment value and what he brought to the game and particularly the ashes, um, I, I think almost peerless. Uh, he'll go down as a, as a legend of the game, you know, just for the, the sort of the crazy spells, the two test hat tricks, the edging the ball and not walking when it gets hit to slip. Um, mm. What was it? Was it the Brisbane courier mail who called in the 27 year old English medium pacer instead yes. of, instead of naming him? It's all, yeah. all of these sort of, moments build up to, to sort of quite a fantastic overall story so you know what a guy and for him to leave now is kind of sad in a way I mean he's uh, I'm 31 so how long has he been in the team 14 years no 16 yeah. years so I would have been a small boy um or a, a medium-sized boy anyway uh when when he first broke into the site so in, in a way it's all I've ever known it's, it's Stuart Broad um with Anderson, that's slightly a slightly different thing, and I think this is this speaks to the kind of, I guess, the dynamic of the Ashes in relation to to English cricket. Now, for Stuart Broad, he said it himself: the Ashes is the pinnacle, and he wanted to go out at the pinnacle. Um, I don't know if Anderson sees the Ashes in quite the same way. I think he sees Test cricket in general as being the pinnacle and playing for England as the as the pinnacle and the Ashes maybe that's because he has such a bad record in Ashes well you know it, it could be that it could be it could be that um but I think he sees those series as, as maybe not just another series but m- perhaps not on the pedestal that somebody like Broad has them uh and so for him I think the pursuit of all-time greatness and and Warren's record 
tally and the fact that England have got two weakish opponents next year and the fact that we've brought out the team, there's probably more room for him to get opportunities mm, moving true. forward as well, um, are a bit of a carrot. Now, we don't know. He said himself that he might walk away. He wants to think about it. He, he hasn't. He doesn't feel like he wants to quit yet. But he, he, do, do, you downtime, him, but... do you think they'd pick him? Do you think they'd pick him for India? Because I think you've got a, a five test series out there in January. So I take him. So I think that's a. I think I don't think I would to India, but I think for England next year. But I wouldn't take Wokes either to India. To be honest, I'd 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 have a obviously quite a spin focused bowling attack mm. hopefully stokes operation goes well and then build a seam attack probably around ollie robinson with wood and if, if england are lucky someone like ollie stone or just tongue as the the other other seamers so people who provide pace through the air basically so i don't actually think there's a room for a traditional english seamer in that attack full stop um, but when they play the West Indies and Sri Lanka next year, there definitely will be. And I think with Broad going, there is there is a vacancy in that attack that Broad was filling this summer for a senior seam bowler who can produce reliable spells. I think the, the question with Anderson, and really he'll be the only one that can answer this, is whether whether his bowl he bowled well, but he was unlucky whether his bowling is now he's now too old to bowl well or whether the pitches and the conditions and the maybe the matchup against Australia didn't suit him now he's he's 41 he's been playing test cricket for god only knows how long I, I think England will trust him to know which one of those it was whether it was maybe a conditions issue or you know whatever it was if the answer comes back if Anderson knows that he's too old I think England will trust him to tell them that, that he is too old, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, I think it was a bit of everything. I think he, he didn't have a lot of zip through the series, but the pitches aren't going to suit him. I mean, and it, it, I wonder what England will do next year. I mean, if they want to keep playing baseball, you know, Gav mentioned Harry Brook before. I mean, he's not going to bat that well on a green seamer. I mean, it's a lottery. So, um, yeah, I, I personally think probably Anderson, the right time would have been this oval test. I, I think... Um, it's time to let the next generation come through, but we'll see, I guess. Um, wh- what did you think about the, the ball swap at the Oval? Now, uh, now, I don't want to come across as a whinger like you lot about the best, I think, so let me make that very clear. Um, but but you're going to. No, 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 but because I think Australia <laughs> lost the game, that game for a lot of other reasons. Like, I don't think we should have bowled first. I, I mean, you must have been like cock a hoop when Cummins sent you lot in. I mean, I thought that was ridiculous. Oh, to, to be honest, I thought it was the right decision. I think if Australia hadn't dropped five catches in the we first half, we don't agree on anything, Jack. It's. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I was from an English point of view, I was pretty nervous, and I, I think mm. Australia's fielding, as bad as England's was earlier in the series, that that session was a travesty. Um, mm. You can't, you just can't do that. No, five drop catches. Um, But I I think when you send a team in, and Tim Payne said this on his radio show, when you send a team in on in a massive game like that, you are putting more pressure on yourself. And you know, I think there's two other things. So in in this in this case, because mm -hmm. of baseball, one, it means Australia don't have to deal with the tricky third innings, which I think it was a big problem for them, um, especially at at, uh, Headingley where they didn't really know how hard to press the accelerator and Marnus Labuschagne gets out slog sweeping. I think it was the third time he'd ever played the shot in his career. Um, They've got data on this. And why is he doing that? He's doing that because he's worried that England have got the ability to chase a lot in in the fourth and to do it it quite quickly. Well, he was trying to take Ali on him and Smith that day thought, we'll hit this part-time round of the attack. Well, that's an element of it, but I think it's also because it's the third innings and then the they're thinking about what a winning score is in a, in a way that they probably wouldn't with without England's track record looming and over see, the That's test. where I think Australia now, lost it because our best cricket is put runs on the board and defend. You know, Stark, Hazel would come as they look up, there's big runs on the board and come at us. And, you know, I have to say they just got rattled by baseball. Well, I, I look, I, I think that that's partly true, but I do understand why you would not want England batting last. I, I I think that is a reasonable thing to 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 plan is to yeah, and I, and I think that the conditions like the oval generally speaking 
pretty easy to bowl on day one, day one and a half. Then it gets very flat. And day three is normally the best batting day at the Oval. And then day four and five, you see reverse seam come into the game because it gets quite abrasive. It dries out a lot. Um, so I think that there, there were sort of solid reasons um, for that. There well, was you, another question that you asked. That, oh, yes, that, I was going about the ball. But so if, you, yeah. if, you, if you bowl first, though, you have to get a lead of 50 to 100 in that second. Yeah, so yeah you, you, you want to be, yeah. as you say, batting on that third day for a little bit where the conditions are the best. So Australia didn't play well, but I think the way the series was going, I would have just liked to have seen them go out there, back your batters to put on 350 and then, okay, see what England can do when they have to chase the game. Uh, but on the ball swap, so it, it's getting a bit of press here. It's getting a bit of press here, as you can imagine, because, you know, the, the balls that came out were completely different. I mean, it was like chalk and cheese. You had one old ratty ball that you play with at your local club on a, on a net, and then they bring out this shiny new Duke's ball. And now the latest conspiracy theory is that someone has gone into the box and put in some of those Dukes balls from 2018 that swung around corners, and this was all engineered by England. Um, I don't know about that, but firstly, you have to concede the balls were ridiculously different. Well, yeah, I mean, the the 2018 conspiracy theory, that sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. That's a bit QAnon for my taste. Uh, I, I do, I, I, do <laughs> I do think that that it made a difference though. Um, mm. And I, I, I think that was, was, was pretty evident. I mean, like how long did England use that? ball? it was a hundred, it was 105 overs old. Theoretically mm. that ball wasn't yeah. 105 overs old. That, that no. ball was probably about 70 overs old. I'm not <laughs> um, sure it was made of leather. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if it was just a fully um, registered cricket ball, uh, but also so, the rain didn't help. I mean, you know, the rain might've hmm. saved you at Old Trafford, but the rain came on the fourth day when Kawaja and Warner were batting beautifully and on yeah. the fifth day, when Head and Smith were getting going, there was that long break in the middle yeah. of the day. Uh, but yeah, that that ball thing is just wild. Like, I yeah, mean, like is on... Joe Wilson blind? Yes, he is. Is the is the answer? I, I mean, I, I you know we've got we've got a growing body of evidence that that Joe Wilson's eyesight might not be twenty twenty, mm. um, and I think we can we can probably file that under that category. Uh, here, I mean, like, apparently, I think was it Kawaja said this that they had a look in the box and basically none of the balls were suitable. That they had to choose one that was new. Uh, yeah. So, like, on, on you know, if if you if we're talking about whinges, I think that's a fair whinge. I think that did have a, a an impact on the game. It is still a whinge, um, and ultimately, ball changes happen, and sometimes mm. they're unlucky. Um, for for whoever, whichever team you face, uh, other points in the series, Australia got the ball swapped, and, and I remember one pretty clearly when Zach Crawley was on, you know, forty or forty doing his thing. Ball swap, Mitch Marsh gets him out two balls later. Um, so, yeah, yeah, as I said, I don't think it's why we yeah. lost, lost the Test match. Chasing three eighty, if you if you leave yourself that to to win a series, then you're always going to be up against it. It certainly had an effect. It certainly started to move. But I, th- you know, I think in 2019 at Edgbaston, Australia got a ball swap and the ball started swinging around corners. So you have to take the rub of the green. But Jack, you know, bad news. I've, got, I've sort of saved this to the end. Australia actually won the series 18 points to nine points, according to the ICC Test Championship table. So whether two twos fair or not, we actually scored double the amount of points in the Test Championship table, and that's all due to overrate penalties. So. Yeah, how do you? You must be gutted to lose the series in such a manner. Um, oh, I, it's it's sort of a bit nebulous, that isn't it? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in jest, but it's crazy, isn't it? Because I, know, I yeah, I, mean, I think table, the test championship table is craving for relevance, and I know they've got to yeah. do something about overrates, but this is not the way. Yeah, it's 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 completely bonkers that uh, a series that's that close leads to such a mismatch in the number of points, and it's also sort of slightly weird that that is a result basically of one of the Australian players complaining that the point system wasn't fair halfway through the series and getting it changed. So it would have been um, a lot worse. We might have been minus points. We might have. But well, both teams, points. but both teams would have been on about nine, I think. But because England get bowled out quicker because of the way they play, um, Australia had some innings that didn't count against their overrate. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what the, what the point of it is, to be honest, if you're the, I mean, uh, the world test championship and all the point system, if you're, 
if you're going to penalise teams so harshly. Mm. What I will say from an English point of view, England have got to go to India and get pumped 5-0 probably, maybe 4-1 if they're lucky. So realistically, I don't know if there was that much chance of them actually making the final. The the World Test Championship seems to basically exist to give India a chance at winning a a showpiece final. Or maybe, maybe another way of putting it, give India a chance at losing um, a showpiece final and and perhaps also to to enable another team to market themselves as the world world champions i quite i quite actually i quite like the one-off event i will say that i like the final i think that's oh, a yeah. good idea but it shouldn't the, be decided the, on overrates yeah how we get there i've got some big problems with um <laughs> i do i do actually like i really enjoyed both of them um but mm. yeah i agree it's it, because the, not everyone plays an unequal amount of games. It is hard. But basically, I think Australia was slugged 10 points and 50% of their match fees. That's $100,000 in total for the first innings of England at Old Trafford. That's and just not England, right, is it? <laughs> and, then, and then England were lost, docked 19 points for transgressions at Edgbaston, Lords, Manchester and the Oval. Um, uh, it's just, so, yeah. like the, so, so England, it would have been 28 all and instead it's 10-9. Mm. Is that is that no? Sorry, no, it's uh, eighteen nine. No, no, we yeah, thrashed you. But this table, yeah, yeah, yeah. we thrashed you. Yeah, but that's won. that's still so. Both the two to the two teams have lost what cumulatively twenty nine points there, which is more than they actually have on the board between them now. Mm. Like that's that's you know farcical basically, especially when you consider that we're playing in a, in in a part of the world where seam bowling does dominate and seam bowling takes longer to get through. So, you, you know, automatically, if you're Bangladesh, you're less likely to, you're, you're more likely to to register World Test Championship points because you bowl 70 overs of spin per new ball. Um, uh, I, look, I, really I thought it was a bit slow, though. Oh, look, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think they should speed it up. But I, I don't think the way to do that is to retrospectively hand out these punishments mm. that then compromise the World Test Championship as a as a product overall, you probably the best the way English to do it. are like floggings or lashings, isn't that what the English like? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we moved on from that a little bit, and now it's sort of like Daily Mail stings and <laughs> yes. um, public shamings in the sun. That's 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 kind of what we're into these days. Um, I, I think the best way to do this, on a serious note, is a pitch clock or a, a bowling mm, clock. They've, like they've brought it. it in in baseball. It's been fantastic. It's it's knocked. So baseball games, if you do, if you don't know this, they were up to about three hours, ten minutes per game. They're now down to two and a half hours. It's mm. it's knocked half an hour off the time of a game, and it's all wasted time that's gone as well. There's people adjusting their gloves and, and stuff like that. So you just say, once the ball hits the keeper's gloves, you've got 20 seconds before the bowler has to be at the top of their mark and ready to go, and the batter must be ready to face. If they're not, it's a no ball, or the, the batter gets fined five runs. And in in one test match, the whole thing would be solved. Yeah, I'm a big baseball First fan. one would be carnage. Yeah, but yes. then, then it would be fine. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Pitch clock is the way to go. Um, well, that's. I mean, it was a great series, Jack. It was, it was you know, it was a great series. Um, I mean, the, I got to say, the English drove me mad throughout during the series. Um, you know, they they really like the just the, the the whinging after the bear stow and the moral stuff being played off. You know, you know that that is a joke, though. That the the moral ashes, the moral ashes in particular, that's like a, a pan national joke by English people on the rest of the world. Apart from you know maybe <laughs> Pierce Morgan and Michael Ball, plenty though. <laughs> Apart from those two people, everybody else is only only bringing up things like the moral moral ashes to get a reaction. Like it's yeah, it's it it's, it's it works. It's baiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we yeah. know it worked. That's why we keep yeah. bringing it up. But we um, won the moral lashes. That's the thing because you know morally yeah. and were disgraceful <laughs> off the field. Like as just as people, they were really <laughs> this bad. This is the problem. As soon as you say that, it then becomes very funny for me to say, "No, England won the moral lashes and list off a load of bad things, like the stolen haircut and all of that nonsense." Um, start throwing throwing great. accusations out like that, and and, can, can and I, the whole thing bubbles on. Can I can I tell you, Jack? Kerry is the nicest guy. Like, I've heard, I've, yeah, I've yeah. Commentated on a couple of games and you know chatted with him a few times, and he's the most lovely guy. I mean, I feel so bad for him because he just, you know, I'm like I I don't mind a bit of hate, whereas he would just just be like it would be he would just not be know how to handle it. Yeah, I mean, I I I think that was sort of evident in some of his performances after. Mm. 
after he started copying it quite badly. And I think, you know, there was a, as we said, I think people were over the line there, but, um, mm. I, it, I, don't, sorry, I don't blame you for your whole kind of, yeah. it was, uh, it was sort of interesting how quickly things did go downhill and, and how, um, the, the self image of the Australian team being questioned actually had a material impact on on the on the performance of the team it's, it was unusual to see an australian team normally we normal the normal narrative of an ashes is that england are the team that are a bit flaky and that australia are the headstrong guys that uh you know believe in what they're doing have conviction about the way they're playing the game and don't really care about outside noise it's for the roles to be virtually entirely reversed in in this series it was an interesting and, and sort of slightly Less talked about narrative, I think, probably because cricket was so good. But mm. um, I mean, yeah. I think it's right. I think it's right. I'm just uh, so I don't think the best, though, actually, the best I think was what put Australia on a downhill slump. I mean, as I said, I think they got defensive and they went 2 0 up and thought we can hold this and we can probably sneak another win. And once you start thinking like that, you absolutely mm. stuffed. And you know, Wokes coming in was a great addition. I mean, I think he did more than Wood because he just, you know, he took Definitely. 19. Yeah. 19 wickets at 18 in three matches. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, you know, that, and I guess what I'd been saying for a while was that I thought Cummins and McDonald tactically are a bit lacking, but I thought stupidly that, um, that after the World Test Championship, they would get their shit together. But, you know, I sort of think Cummins too much is being put on his shoulders. And they got the tactics wrong. And, you know, that, that's what surprised me. You know, anything surprise you about the series? Uh, oof, anything surprise? I mean, yeah, a lot is the is the is is, is the answer. Give me a couple. Give me a couple. Not a gav answer, but just a. I'm I'm surprised at how well Basball worked against Australia's third and fourth best bowlers in and or and fifth best bowler in in virtually every game. Um, when when Lyon and Cummins weren't bowling in the first two Test matches, it was carnage. And then when Cummins and Stark weren't bowling in Tests three, four, and five, it was uh, you know, an absolute domination. And I think the most surprising thing of all, and it's wrapped up in the same point, so don't worry, I'm not going to go on. Is is that Crawley's performance? Like that, that is incredible. That's 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 one of the most remarkable turns of events that I can recall in Test cricket. This is a guy who's historically bad. Um, you know, you can make a solid argument the worst opener to ever have got sort of more than 15 matches in, in, in test cricket. And he walks out of the series as, you know, nailed on one of the best 11, probably one of the best five players in, in the, in terms of contribution. Um, so I think that's a great story and, and something I just did not expect. I didn't, I didn't expect it after the first test, uh, after the first mm. two tests. So for, for what happened to happen, uh, good for him, to be honest. So uh, he's had, to, he's had to take a lot of stick and to, to come back like that. Um, will make him very, very happy, I imagine. Yeah, he's a great player to watch. And, and you know, to be also like, so he was the leading run scorer for England, Kawaja for Australia, 496 runs. And he was dropped on the last Ashes tour. Uh, I think he was averaging under 20 in English condition. So he really turned it around. I thought he had a brilliant series. With the ball leading wicket taker for Australia, Mitchell Stark, 23 wickets. This is what's amazing. His strike rate at 33, which I think is as advertised. He gives away a few runs, but he takes wickets. And then Stuart Broad, 22 wickets for England. Great stuff. All right, Jack, last thing to wrap this up. I guess give me, um, you know, favourite memories of the series, you know, when you're relaxing back with a cup of tea. You know, what will you remember fondly? Oh, so I think two things. So obviously the broad send off, um, yeah. crowd going wild, all of that. That that will be, I think, the iconic image of this series, um, and and it deserves to be uh, because it was um, the the thing that I think will stick with me the longest though is is back when the series was still alive. It's the chase, um, the Headingley chase, uh, when you know every time England looked to get into a position where it was going to it was just about to become a formality australia would take a wicket or two wickets and, and drag it back and then it ends up with um wokes and wood putting on a little partnership of a couple of sixes and england win that um and I, I think that moment will probably stick with me 
one because of the tension and how how great it is when you get a run chase like that in test cricket where effectively the draw the win and the tie are all genuine possibilities um but two at that moment it it really felt like the three two either way was a possibility and it, and it, it seemed like not you know it's 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 easy to say that well no it seemed like at that moment that it was almost inevitable that England would win the next match and then we would have this showdown as it turned out the rain sort of ruined things and, and that's a bit of a shame but uh, as two passages of play uh, I think those two moments in terms of off, off the field stuff the the furore around the Alex Carey haircut <laughs> um was was absolutely fantastic and uh the the kind of the way that blew up um, which was just it was just an innocent mistake from from Alistair Cook. He, he, he basically speaking to somebody who didn't know any of the Australian players, uh, tried to figure out which player it was that hadn't played and came to the wrong conclusion. Uh, it was as simple as that. Said it on air, and uh, it blew up. Yeah. So those those three moments, probably with broad top. Mm, love it. Um, I've got a few. So um, my favourite moment, I think, was the run chase at Edgbaston after the scars of 2005, just to see Australia get over the line when it looked like the game had got away from us. And and that was a magic reaction, you know, up till four in the morning, seeing Alistair Cook crying in the BBC box when his team lost. Um, The the win at Lords, but more, you know, my memories of Lords is the lunchtime. So on that last day when the Bearstow stumping had happened, the footage was coming out of all these members like throwing darts at the Aussies and uh, getting their swords out and their pistols and it was all getting very nasty. (laughs) And then um, so that whole period and then the two days after Lords, I just walked around in a red mist. I was so angry at the English for the way they'd carried on. Um, So, and then I guess my... Uh, two two last memories. Mitch Marsh Tan, I just loved because he's a great guy, and that was a fantastic century. I know it was in a losing cause, but you know you have to say that was some of the best Australian batting we saw all series. Um, but my favourite bit at the end was Broad swapping the bales on Marnus and getting yeah. him out because you know some of my some of my co-hosts and other people have said they didn't like it, but I actually think that's really funny. Like if you're a batsman and you let that annoy you, then you've <laughs> lost the war, you know, like you you know, and then when he did it at the end and he got Murphy out, and then he I just thought that was brilliant. So yeah, broad swapping yeah. the bales, great memory. That was fantastic. Oh, the, the Murphy swap as well. He thought that was going to be his last ball in test cricket. Did you hear mm. that over in Oz? Yeah. So yeah. He, he'd he been told that Wood was going to come on for the next over. So he thought he'd do it basically as a joke. Gets the wicket, gets another over, and um, the rest of the day is history. Indeed. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining me on Cricket Unfiltered. Um, so where can the listeners find the Cricket Podcast, apart from just Googling the Cricket Podcast? I mean, that is probably the best way to to find it. Um, or actually, you know, maybe to be more specific, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, search The Cricket Podcast. Um, the logo is blue. It's a set of cricket pants mm. with The Cricket Podcast written on. Uh, you can't miss it. Uh, we've done 428 shows now. So wow. maybe not quite as many as you, but uh, mm. a, a, fair, a fair number on the board. Um, and you can go back. Well, you, you know, it's, it's topical. So you probably want to tune into the, the next one when we drop it uh, sometime this week. Yeah, what's happening for you guys? What are you covering? What's what's on the horizon? A lot of chat about the hundred. I think we'll probably do a little bit of hundred stuff. It's actually started reasonably well um, this year. Last last year in the hundred, I think there are two close games on the men's side, wow. and uh, this year they've started with one rain off and four matches that have pretty much gone to the last two balls. Um, All we've so, heard about is Chris Hughes, this presenter. Oh he's my still, goodness! This is he yeah, I mean, like this, and he, so I think he's, he's like yeah. Oh, no, starts, explain it, yeah. He starts off with Maitland Brown, who's a friend of the show. She's been on here. And um, I'll give him his, his due. He didn't bring up Barbie. She brought up that she'd seen Barbie. And he goes something like, oh, aren't you a little Barbie with your blue eyes? Um, and then she yeah. sort of giggled. And he then made a worse by saying, oh, look, she's blushing or something. Yeah. Um, and then the next two nights later, he has Jason Roy there. And he goes, oh, you must be knackered after finishing the Ashes. And you're thinking, that's weird. And then he goes, oh, I was nice talking to Joe Root at the end. And you're like, okay, that's Jason Roy. I mean, what a shock. Yeah. I mean, Jason Royal also managed to slip an F-bomb into that inter- yes. interview as well. So it's not been a good couple of days for, for Chris Hughes. That's what happens, though, when you employ somebody from Love Island to be your cricket anchor. 
Um, mm. So they've only got themselves to blame, the BBC, on that. Um, but I can see, I can see why that would travel the, the best. As in, to some extent, unless the, the T20 comp is happening in your neck of the woods or it's the IPL, they're all sort of the same and you might tune in if you've got a, a little bit of time, but you're probably not going to be following any of the, the subplots or know what the table is. And yeah, so I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone in, in Oz or anywhere else in the world for not what's going, not knowing what's going on there. But yeah, we'll talk we about that a little bit. But, we get it here. Um, we get it on our Fox. We get the hundred, so we get all the games and and we get the canadian global t20 and we've just oh yeah major league cricket so yeah um so yeah that's it a bit you're gonna be talking about that good maybe a bit of west indies india as well we'll see lovely well jack thanks for joining me listeners thanks everybody um later this week i'm dropping an interview with kumar sangakara so listen out for that <laughs> This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.